Hello everyone and welcome back to the One Talk podcast. You're here with your host Ryan and today we're joined by James Rayner who is a mindset mentor, content creator and he helps people who experience anxiety and have a negative mindset and gain control and reinvent their life. And Jimmy someone I've been following on the social media space for probably a few years now, two to three years I reckon. And it's cool seeing his journey, where he's come from to where he is now and the work that he does. So I'd like to welcome Jimmy. G'day. Brother. Yeah, good, good, man. I'm happy to be here. And as I said just before, it's my second ever potty. So, um, yeah, it's good to not have to um, prep too much from the other end. So, it's uh, yeah, it's cool. It's a cool experience that uh, this mental health Instagram socials sort of world has gotten us together so that's pretty cool um but yeah i'm excited to see what yeah you have for me what you want to talk about yeah definitely man and just going off the back of what you just said there it just shows the power of the things that we have in our life if we utilize them for the correct purposes like because people can say negative stuff about social media but there's so much positive stuff that come out of it as long as you direct the right intention into it and from that is where we are now yeah exactly yeah and like I've, I've even found with the page, like I sort of go through ebbs and flows with it and in terms of how much I use it and how much I post. And I purely just do that based off what I wanted it to be at the start. And that was like a, a bit of a hobby and an escape and something I do for free and with no expectations. So it's, um, it's interesting to even from my end and an our end to mm-hmm. try and manage that as well with an added um, commitment in the social world. Yeah, definitely, brother. And going on to that too, I'd love to hear why you started this journey on adding value to people's lives and creating content and getting into the work and mindset and mental health. Like, what was the first thought you had and what was the purpose behind it into starting this journey? Um, uh, it was probably for selfish reasons, really. Like, I, mm. I, um, I came from a professional, sort of semi-professional AFL background and. From the age of four, I played footy, and um, and I'm from WA originally, where AFL is massive in the main sport. And um, early on, as a young kid, I was I was quite going quite well, and and had some some good signs. And then you know, as we went along the journey of, of semi professional football to try and make it into the big big leagues, I I had this expectation and and feeling of I was just going to make it. There was no ifs. Um, ifs or buts about it and mm. you know I had some validation through awards and, and um, people you know pretty much telling me that I was every chance and um, you know had chats with AFL clubs and things like that and um, I built this this identity around my football and and uh, I guess long story short I, I never never got drafted never got a sniff really and um, people started to to leapfrog me and Mates of mine that I, you know, thought I was very compared, uh, very similar to in talent were leapfrogging me and getting drafted and living their dream and my dream. And, um, yeah, it was just a really interesting identity challenge and, and shift. And, and as a result, I sort of developed a fair bit of depression and anxiety around who I was and, and what I was doing with everything. And, and for me, I, I think it, the biggest challenge was having these feelings and emotions and, developing depression when I had such a great environment. You know, I have a, mm. a great family with two parents that are still together, two loving sisters. Um, you know, we were not we're not rich but we're not poor and, you know, we have everything we need. So I think it was that yeah, that challenge of why do I have these feelings and nothing really is that wrong. Um yeah. so it was sort of that first experience of trying to navigate who I was but also navigating my feelings and um, I at the time had no real um, desire or interest in delving too deeply into the mental world of uh, or the mental health world. Really, I, I didn't. I found it a bit taboo and a bit um, quote unquote cringe at the time. I think thought I was too mm. cool for it. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know whether that was a product of my friend group or a product of what my upbringing. But um, eventually, I, I found myself. Um, waking up most days pretty disappointed that I was awake and and it wasn't so much um that I didn't want to be alive I just didn't want to have to go through the the drag of being depressed and 
low and having no desire and motivation and, and anxious all the time about everything. Um, mm. And it felt like a big, massive uphill battle. Um, yeah, and then eventually I think, I don't know what happened and why it happened, but um, I woke up one day and I either, I decided that I was either going to continue like this and, and not feel, you know, feel great forever again or I make a decision and, and luckily I was in the fortunate position of having a great family that I could say, hey, can we have a family dinner? And, and then I just sort of downloaded to them all and, and let them mm. know that I typically don't want to be um, awake most of the time. And for someone like myself, it was a bit of a shock for the family because my natural state is to be a bit of the, I guess, the jokester of the family and, you know, trying to just be, you know, people make fun of how, or not fun, but make jokes in the family around them. You know, you did a Jimmy, like if I do something silly or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was an interesting, interesting time. And uh, I feel like, yeah, going on a bit, but essentially it got to a point where I had, I started the ball, the snowball of effect of telling my family and getting it out there. And then uh, eventually I had the first psychology appointment that my parents helped me organize. And then I had my next one and my next one. And slowly but surely I built this curiosity around my, my own mental health. And then um, eventually once I got to a point of, of, uh, genuine neutral neutrality i think i could call it just a baseline i felt pretty comfortable with who i was um and then a sort of second episode of of major anxiety happened in my first year or two of full-time work coming out of you know only ever worked casually and Mm. you know it was my you know not i had a full-time job for the first time a girlfriend and all this stuff happening and I, i couldn't manage it and ended up having you know panic attacks every other day and if not I was worrying about having them every other day. So um, that's where the other side of my mental health curiosity went. And it's been about seven years and probably five years into it, I, I started Think Mental. But mm. um, Think Mental was a way for me to itch my create creativity on my creative side. I, I still find, you know, creating videos and editing videos and doing this stuff pretty cool and interesting. But I also wanted to do it for a reason to, and, you know, 57,000 followers or 56,000 followers later and mm. it was um yeah it sort of just randomly become this thing and a part of my identity now but um yeah it's you know to sum it all up for me I'm not uh big on the spirituality side in terms of when I say big I don't know much about it and it doesn't resonate with me as much as say others do um but for me, my, my way and my process of, of navigating mental health is just by simplifying it. And initially that was the tagline, you know, mm. starting conversations and simplifying mental health. And, um, that's all I want to do is, you know, give people that aren't into, say, the, the deeper stuff and a chance to just learn from, to learn the foundations and then figure out which way they want to go in the mindset field. Uh, because I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way I manage stuff. And mm. again, I'm not perfect either. So. I'm still learning and have my my weaknesses personally. So, um, but yeah, I have a really good foundation now. Mm. That's epic. Like, I'm very proud of you, brother. And I, I know that you're an inspiration to a lot of other people too for your story and the work that you do. And I want to track back a bit into your story when you said around the AFL time, you felt like people were leapfrogging you. Then you started to feel maybe uh, that's when the mental illness maybe started kicking in and started spiraling down. What was the age when I first started the feeling of, say, disappointment to the point where you started feeling fully depressed and you didn't want to wake up? What was the time period of that? Um, I'd say probably 17 to 21, I'd say, was the peak period there. Um, And that was like most, I guess, especially males, you know, females as well, where it's that period of just, you know, intense learning about, everything and intense experience might be the first time you're having a girlfriend or a boyfriend might be the first time you're having a full-time job it might be the first time you're you know figuring out other things about life and yeah it's um it was this massive period i i consider pretty um mashed into one really and, yeah um, and it, it led to sort of a loss of interest in footy too because I sort of felt if I wasn't going to be in the big time, there was no point doing it at all. Yeah. Um, 
So, and I'm back playing now and, and being through loss of interest and back to interest and, and so on. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it was an interesting time around that sort of 17 to 21 year old period. Yeah. And what, what was it also like being able to open up to your parents about what you're experiencing as well? Was you anxious as well? Cause obviously the things you were going through, I'm assuming that anxiety was a part of the depression you're feeling. Was that another, Thing on your mind that created more anxiousness being able to open up to your family or did you know they were going to be open to have the conversation i reckon i knew they were going to be open and happy to talk about it um mm. i think there's an element of coming from a, a semi-professional background you want to be able to do it yourself and there's a, mm. a lot of self-sufficiency required in football you know or elite sport in general, because you might play in a team sport, but outside of the training days, what are you doing to to be your best? And I think at the time I was pretty keen on footy, so I was quite um, highly strung about that stuff. Mm. And I think I had this mentality of I just want to do it myself kind of attitude, which I guess a lot of people have at the time. But um, no, I never doubted that my parents would react uh, well. They they are I'm the product of them, and mm. um, they are one of the prime examples of doing anything for your children, which I'm sure a lot of parents are. So, yeah, for sure. But I think it was just, it was probably an acceptance thing really of, mm. you know, a lot of people have this um, uh, fail to accept that, that it is what it is. You've got depression or you've got anxiety. And um, I think that's half the battle is just accepting it and then tackling it after you accept it rather than the wrong way around. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree as well, especially when I like myself in my past, um, when I was going through depression, anxiety and whatnot, like I was always labeled as a depressed person and I always found it harder to be able to beat the depression when I always told myself I was depressed. Did you feel the same thing with yourself as well? Yeah, I think I identified it with it. I, I, I almost get used as an excuse, really. Mm. And I made it uh, something that I could protect myself behind with the fact that I almost said, you know, whatever didn't happen or whatever I didn't achieve or whatever things went against me, it was because I was depressed or because of my anxiety was stopping me. Mm. And yeah, it was, it was this thing that became my new identity. And luckily I've twisted it to become a positive identity now. But yeah, at the time it was something that I identified with too strongly and at times lent on it for sympathy where I probably should have just been stronger internally and focused on how I could fix it rather than just lean into it kind of thing. Mm. And what were the things that you did to help fix it and remove those labels so you can truly step into the recovery journey? I think it was, I think it was doing it my way. Mm. I think we can fall into the trap of, especially now with social media and, and, you know, funnily enough, it's sort of a contradiction in our stuff, but there's so many people talking about it, which is great, but that means there's also a lot of opinions and a lot of challenging concepts and mm. contradicting com- concepts. I think it was me consuming information but then making the adjustment and making decisions and making choices on what strategies I can use that feel right to me rather than... You know, there's, there's an element of just having a crack with it all, but I think it was still catering to what I felt like the right way. And, you know, I, I'm big on analogies and metaphors and that's the approach I sort of go with and stupid stuff that works for me, like, for instance, the no beep rule for me. So mm. when I'm driving my car and my mates joke about it, but it's actually like they still appreciate it, is I have the no beep rule. So... Yeah. I don't beep anyone in my car unless I need to beep them to tell them not to crash into me. So, yeah. um, for instance, a great example is there might be a guy or girl driving and they're going really slow around a corner. You, you might be having a bad day, you're feeling shocking, and you just want to get home and this person is taking that long to talk, turn that corner. Mm. Your instinct is to go whack on the, the horn, you fucking asshole, like, you idiots, so I just hurry up. But for me, I've built over time this habit of saying I go to pull it and I just go no, no beep rule in my head. And because for me, it's an empathy one. It's two things. It's an empathy empathy thing. So I consider myself at my worst. Sometimes I'd be having a panic attack in my car and not thinking straight, and probably didn't turn 
used my indicator when I turned or, you know, went the wrong way or cut mm. someone off. Um, so there's an element of I don't know what's going on. I could be the result of someone going home and, and doing some terrible stuff because of one beep. Um, yeah. But also it's a reminder and almost a bit of a, a relation to my own life is slow down and don't react straight away. Try and think about how you can process this information, whatever it might be, mm. and don't react straight away. Okay, don't beep straight away. And if I reflect on my worst top moments in terms of just me as a human being with my girlfriend, with my family, with my friends, typically it's when I beep or react quite quickly instead mm. of actually just sitting with it, whatever I'm in or involved with and reacting a bit slower and mm. not beeping straight away. So to sort of round get back around, that's essentially how I approached my mental health in the end was do, doing it my way, coming up with things that felt fun and right for me. And, you know, the no beep stuff relates to me. It makes me feel like it's not this scary thing. It's just another part of you that I have to process. And mm. the more more things that like that no beep rule that came up, the more it made it easy because I could just chuck them in the tool belt that I call my mental health resources and, and away I go. That no beep rule is such a cool lesson for people to listen to because like that's something I've been practicing for a couple of years as well is to not be reactive, especially in the car and things like that. Because at the end of the day, it's like you don't know what other people are going through. But at the same time, it's like how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if I'm in a reactive state in this moment, blowing my horn and you know giving them the finger out the window and everything, like you said before, how is that going to show up with my relationship? How is that going to show up in my personal life? How is that going to show up when I look in the mirror and see myself? I'm going to be in this constant reactive state and it's not going to be healthy. So it's just implementing like little habits like that, which will then create like a bigger concept for your whole life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've been reading a lot about projection and, um, and self-sabotage as a result of that projection and there's a, a fun thing that I've been learning and obviously I've, I've only just sort of read about it so I don't know a lot but you know the the idea of projection identification which mm. from what I know is essentially having an emotion from one thing and to un get rid of that emotion you put it back on someone else and give them the emotion by something that you do so you might feel anger in the car from this person driving like a maniac and instead of holding on to it and processing it yourself, you just want to get rid of it. So you go to your partner or your friends and then do something to make them angry instead. And then they have to hold on to it mm. and, and hold on to the anger. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that concept is interest, interesting in itself. And for me right now, it's about anxiety and, and insecurity. I put that insecurity back on other people sometimes. And, um, yeah, it's a really, interesting concept of you know projecting to self and then ultimately self-sabotaging stuff mm. which is another concept in, in itself yeah definitely yeah 100 percent, brother and that's the thing too because energy can't be destroyed it can only be transferred and it gets transferred from one person to another or one thing to another so like when you feel those build-ups of anxiety or anger how do you convert that or transfer that so you make sure you get a healthy or a positive outcome I slow down, really. I think I was yeah, watching nice. some of your some of your videos and stuff where you're going out in the streets now, which is cool and brave mm. as well and it's in itself. Um is slowing down. Like I've got on my phone now and this relates to my work and, and my life is mm. literally just no, you can't see it, but it says slow down, focus. Mm. Because for me my habits are moving quickly to avoid getting stuck. But yeah. sometimes, you know, moving quickly means I miss a lot or I might react too quickly or um, I'm not as present or enjoying what's happening around me. And for me, when I did more research I did around anxiety, because for me, that's my strength is now is if something's wrong with me, I'm okay with being wrong, It's mm. but I'm, I'm not okay with not learning how to be right or better at least. Mm. And that's the one thing I learned at the start was the stuff that seems cliche is cliche for a reason and it works. Yeah. 
breathing and just slowing down in general. It doesn't have to be just breath, but breath is a trigger for slowing down. Mm. Um, yeah, that's something that is so underrated, but you know, so simple, but so underrated is just stopping mm. for a second and yeah, sitting there and being calm, trying to just acknowledge what's happening. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I agree too. Cause I literally had this conversation last night with someone that I know and he said to me in the middle of the night I'm waking up and having anxiety attacks I don't know why and I was like right what does your day look like on a day-to-day basis he goes I, I don't stop well that's your problem you haven't found the moment to stop and just be whether it's 30 seconds whether it's 20 minutes anywhere in between just becoming present and slowing down every now and then and doing that on a daily basis will then bring that peace in your mind which will yeah. help you know convert an energy and not be in that reactive state so I 100% agree with that that's a good message too yeah and no, I think you know, I meditate fairly regularly. I'll try to anyway, and, you know, no one's perfect. I have periods of months where I sometimes don't meditate and I come back to it, but I found even five minutes a day has just out of nowhere, you'll, you won't feel it straight away, but out of nowhere, you just realise that you're kind of floating through everything and not, mm. you know, it might go, oh, that that's upsetting, but you say it in a way that you, you go... I kind of just flowed through that word of I feel that was upsetting kind of thing. You kind of went, yeah. oh, that's upsetting and kept going. <laughs> it was just yeah. like this weird thing. And, you know, I, I know I'm at my best when I'm acting like that is acknowledging it and going, oh, that sucks. But I'm saying it in passing as opposed to sitting with it and going, that sucks, that sucks, that sucks. And, mm. you know, that's obviously what meditation is. But, um, yeah, I think learning to sit with yourself has been the massive thing for me and, when I'm my best, I'm okay to just sit here and, and process everything. Was that something you had to train yourself to do, to be able to sit by yourself and be by yourself and be present? And if you did, yeah. like, how did you train yourself to do that? Um, time. Like, I think, mm. you know, I'm an extrovert at, 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 by nature, but I think I realised that I have the benefit of, picking and choosing when I want to be and and I and how I learned how to be on my own was just by just it, I feel like it's really it sounds really simple and a bit like oh that's not really helpful but at the end of the day it's this perseverance aspect and you know I've, I've said it a few times on the podcast and, and a few times on my page that my favorite quote is perseverance knows no failure mm. you know you, you if you just keep persevering persisting and doing something long enough eventually you get to the point where it's you forget that it was a big struggle of yours or a, you forget that it was even an issue in, at all. When I had that moment a while ago where I I was, uh, when I was in the city or my, sorry, when I was in a peak period of anxiety and, and panic attacks to the point of having to leave my desk and go to the, the office or the building showers and take all my clothes off because I was freaking out. Mm. Um I was based in the city and ever since then I left the city and went to, I worked from home a lot and then eventually, and the, the place I was working at, the next place I was working at was nowhere near the city. It was in Strathpine. Mm. And my f- job that I'm in now was post all of my development that I've been doing for the last sort of seven years. And that job is in the city again. And I remember my first interview there, I was like, these feelings were coming back. They were like, like I guess the relation I had with the city and the the association I had with it was coming back and mm. um but I yeah essentially six to eight months in now to this new job I was sitting here just and remembering how bad I really was walking around the city I couldn't go to client meetings I couldn't do anything because I would just be freaking out mm. all the time worrying about having a panic attack and um and like I sort of said at the start um it you will do stuff enough that eventually you forget that it was even a challenge to begin with, but you've got to just mm. have a crack and keep trying until one day it just clicks. And yeah, and you don't, you, and I think that's where it is. You've got to have faith, right? You just got to mm. believe that eventually it'll work. And if one thing doesn't work, try another. Like I said, my way is different to your way, and mm. but it doesn't mean that we're both not happy. And yeah, exactly. So it's a testament to the fact that, you know, there's so many options out there 
Mm. But yeah, in terms of like learning how to be on my own, I just learnt. I just, I just developed it by yeah working on it. And I think time as well. Like I said, age. Mm. There's a weird thing that happens once you turn 25. I reckon that yeah. it. I don't know what it is, but you just hit this thick period of like, oh, I don't actually want to go to that party, or I don't actually want to go out. Let's we'll just stay at home and you know mm. do something else or. Um, but yeah, so time and, and consistent effort and perseverance. Mm. Like I want to touch on that stuff earlier, but when you said that 25 thing, I just want to touch on that quickly too, because it's funny because I just turned 25 in September last year. Mm. And like that, that literally happened to me too. Like I was always, I I wouldn't say I was a yes man, but I was always just out and doing things and getting around. And then when I, like literally probably at the end of last year, I started to realize that I'm not respecting myself by always saying yes. And I was like, it's cool to say no sometimes. And then now I know more of where to put myself and when to yeah. put myself in certain positions. So that was funny because I never thought of that within myself when you said, I was like, yeah, true. Yeah. It kind of happened in the last few months to me too. <laughs> but, yeah, it's weird, hey. It's yeah. so weird. And I remember people saying, and I think it's more about the male brain than the women's. I'm not sure about I can't remember what the women's is, but I think the male brain doesn't stop developing until you're 25. And mm. like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, but I had that moment of like, shit, maybe they're right. <laughs> like, you know, and, but, yeah. um, science yeah. makes sense. <laughs> science does make sense. It's so weird. Yeah. But like you said, like, it's funny thing about the mind because when you're in an anxious or depressed state, it feel like it's never going to end. But then you give it patience, you give it faith. And then over time, you see it becomes a thing where it never felt like you struggled with it at all. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, and that's the thing, right? Like, it just, it, it, you, I've had these moments where I just go, wow, like you've smashed it, mate. You've absolutely smashed it, but it, it took seven years to smash it. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's a cool, cool feeling. Mm. With your, um, like with your podcast, was that something you always had in mind before Think Mental or did that come along with being on the journey with Think Mental? Um, no, that was the first thing. The first mm. thing I wanted to do was, was the podcast. And for me, it was just about, um, at the start, it was purely just to get people on that knew something that I didn't so I could mm. learn and then, you know, be the person that facilitates learning through others and because that's how I learned. And, um, yeah, it started with the podcast and then eventually as, you know, the trends change and, mm. you know, what people follow and the algorithm does, it, I've sort of adjusted. But also it's confidence. Like I've built this confidence that I don't actually care what people think anymore. To, mm. to a point, you know, the thing you're doing on the streets, I, I still probably couldn't do that from a mm. confidence perspective. But at the same time, I know I probably could eventually yeah. based on what I've been able to um, do with Think Mental is slowly but surely build the confidence in. At first, I didn't want to do like a, hey, guys, how are you going kind of video. Yeah. Um, but I was happy to do a Zoom call with you know, Harris Andrews, who's an AFL captain for Brisbane Lions. Like, it was very mm. a weird progression, and I think I built that slow confidence in myself. And, you know, seeing you on the street, I know that I probably could do that based on evidence. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's um it started as a potty, and now it's sort of like a page pretty much. Mm, and like you said, it's just all about time and faith as well. Because, like, me doing the street interviews and going up to people, like, it's, it's still awkward as, don't get me wrong, but like that was a journey within itself because when I first started like doing mental health experience, like for the first two years of mental health experience, I didn't show my face. So I'd absolutely shit myself to be in front of a camera and speak. But for the people listening too, like if you start something, just give it time, give it faith, believe in yourself, take the right steps accordingly and you'll get to where you're meant to get to. And also I found within myself and my journey is not to try and put too many like blocks on where your path is meant to go. I found yeah. myself just keep it open and you, you might end up in a better spot. Do you feel like that's happened with you too? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think, and and you'll probably ask this question later around comparison and um, things like that. But um, yeah, it's just expectation. And, mm. you know, I, I want to get it up because it's a Yeah, that's quick. the question. Oh, um, you don't know No, it's no. a, um, uh, have you heard of the happiness equation? I don't think I have, to be honest. Okay, this is a belter. Um, and I have to remind myself about this all the time, but essentially 
Mo Gordon is a former Google X exec um, mm. guy. He was basically the second to the CEO at Google. He was on Steve Bartlett's podcast and he talked about the happiness equation. And basically he built the solution to happiness through math, mm. like a typical Google guy would. Um, but it was as a result of his son, unfortunately, passing away. And mm. his son, to him, he considered the happiest man on earth. And he wanted to find out because he couldn't, didn't have time to ask his son mm. how he's so happy. He wanted to find out if he could solve it with math. And essentially, his his problem, or sorry, his equation, his happiness equation. He has a book about it. Um, is your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should behave? Mm. So he says, life going my way, basically. Mm. So typically my expectations sometimes can be the result of either me being happy or not. And, yeah, you know, it's even funny around, I was reading in a book today um, around gratitude and, and people say gratitude's great for you. And yes, it is in a sense, but the nostalgia wears off sometimes or the effect wears off because if you do it so often, your body or your brain sometimes can adjust to it and not really want that anymore and search something bigger and, and this book was talking about the effect of negative gratitude or not negative gratitude, but negative visualization mm. <clears throat> where you, instead of saying what you're grateful for, but imagining not having what you don't, what you do um, and visualizing, you know, he says, he says in the book, sit with your you know eyes closed and imagine you don't have an arm. You don't have your arms. Mm. You can't pick up things. You can't hold your baby. You can't hug your best friend. You can't, play video games, you can't, you know, all this stuff that you have available to you, if you visualise the negative results of not having it, it some, somehow works quite well. And he said it tricks your brain into, mm. um, yeah, basically realising what you you have kind of thing. So, um, yeah, to, to answer your question, I think, it's essentially, you know, you know, this is what we do. Like I'll go on a ramble, but to answer your question, um, I think your expectations or your happiness is only a result of your expectations. And, and it's not about lowering your expectations, but it's allowing anything to happen. And, mm. you know, you could have a North star. Like I love writing up a North star, like saying, okay, this is what I would love, but making it big enough that, whatever happens in between and is great as well. You know, it's accepting mm. that there might be other stuff that comes from it, you know? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, 100%. Like a good analogy for this that I relate to you and all the other sports people listen to this is like, say, AFL, if you've got a kick from 50 and you, in practice you've been training a certain way to take a kick, so on runs in certain positions and whatnot to free up plays, but in the moment of the game you see a different play that's going to play off better than you would have done in practice building up to this game. And you make that play. It's just listening to what's happening in the moment and taking that direction rather than always playing by the rule book to what your expectations are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And that just also shows the way you said how to visualize like your lust or arm or whatnot. Shows how powerful your thoughts are and how powerful visualization is because I agree with the gratitude thing. It's not something I do daily in terms of writing down. Because if things become repetitive for me, I get bored and et cetera. And I think a lot of people listening will relate as well. So I think adding in the visualization aspect to your gratitude in life will also bring more value to your life as well. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think it's, again, going off sort of how I like to, to sell them the, the messages is it's not something that you might want to start straight away but it's something that eventually will come. I can guarantee that. I think, yeah. you know, for me, the beginning was just building self-awareness and understanding what works for me, what doesn't, what triggers me and what doesn't, what makes me feel good and what doesn't. And mm. the visualisation and the, the more technical things of mental health, I want to call them, came later. And yeah. they didn't come till maybe last year either. So, um, yeah, I think for me, my message to anyone who's maybe at the start or a bit, can overwhelmed by it always don't feel like you have to do everything all at once 
yeah. get yourself to a point that you feel comfortable trying something new, like visualiz- visualization. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it'll come. Just don't rush it. Yeah, don't try to do everything at once because that's when you get lost in the mix of it all. Yeah, it's just like you said before as well, like slowing down the, the journey of the healing or the recovery or whatever it is, becoming the better version of yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd love to get into our Q&A, brother, because I've got some epic questions from the One Talk podcast community. Now, if you listen to this and you're not in the community, you have to get in because we do Q&As with every guest that comes on and you get the opportunity to get questions that can be answered. So the first one I've got for you, man, is what's some of the most effective tools to cope with stress? Mm, I purposely didn't look at these too much because I wanted to answer on the fly. But for me, it's personally, my, my biggest thing is removing the non-priorities. Mm. Um, I think for me, personally, stress comes from having too much going on at once and trying to please all of them. And when I feel really good and not stressed is when I can see everything I need to do and narrow it down. Mm. And and I feel in a world of speed where everyone's doing everything all at once, stress can come from feeling like you need to be doing everything all at once. And for me, it's um, being okay with saying no and saying I can't do this right now or saying that I need time, more time because at the end of the day, I, I know myself well enough. I, I won't be use, useful to anyone if, I, if I've got too much going on mm. and – the other thing, yeah, yeah, that's one thing. The second would be what I said before around slowing down and being okay to give yourself a day to just remove everything from your diary or removing everything from your attention. And um, an add on to that would be knowing what fills your cup up and which doesn't, what doesn't, mm. and and being okay with like weird and quirky stuff being the things that fill your cup up yeah, like don't definitely. don't let anyone say that going and go-karting around something is is not good for your stress if it's good for you like it's good for you whatever mm. and you know be okay with that accept it don't let anyone tell you that it's not something you should be doing for your stress um you know a prime example for me is playing like Call of Duty. I know it's a stressful game because I'm shit, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> what it is good for is I get to connect with my mates who live in Cairns and, and other mm. places and the amount of dribble we talk on there is ridiculous, but it's funny and it's cool and like fun and something I look forward to and, mm. and you know, if you filmed us, you'd be like, this is cringe as, but for <laughs> us, it's so, it's a nice relief to just, be myself and do whatever I like want to do and talk absolute dribble like I said that's epic brother I love that you said um gaming because that's like literally after this podcast I'm jumping on Xbox with my mates so because I'm the same like I love just being able to excuse the language but I love just to chat shit with the boys and play box mm. and I know in the whole mental health space it can kind of be looked as a negative gaming but I see it as a massive positive it's social it's a stress relief even though I'm a bit shit as well, but it's fun as well. Like, cause you just laugh at yourself while you're playing. So it's just finding what works for you, isn't it? And yeah. Just, and just going down that road. Yeah. And, and that prompts me to say that, like I said before, there's that much information out there. You could probably scroll on TikTok for about two hours and I guarantee you there'll probably be something that comes up to say the scientific reason why video gaming is not great for you. The here's five reasons why you should never play video games ever again. And yeah, fair if that's the thing, but if that's, something you want to take and absorb and say, yep, I'm never playing video games again and it works, great. Mm. But I don't really want to listen to it because I feel good about it and I know I don't, I'm not playing from 8 p- uh, you know, 8 p.m. till 4 a.m. every day. I'm playing maybe once every every week for like an hour and a half max. Like, yeah, it's a very different concept that I think, yeah, but it's, I agree with you. Definitely, yeah, because like, Anything can be abused in life. Like even, let's say an example, meditation. You can abuse meditation too much. It can take you down a path that's going to direct you away from your life. Yeah. Because you're just going to become too zonked out or too out of space that you're not focusing on the realities of life as well. So, well, yeah, just 
But if you're listening to this, just find something that works for you. If it works, it works. As long as it is within the, you know, as in the, to an extent. Yeah. So uh, my next question then that I got asked is how do you continue to learn and grow? Um, yeah, be okay with mistakes, like being content with not being perfect. Um, mm. But for me, it's the first part of that question is learn. Um, for me, I only got better in terms of I improved my depression and anxiety by learning and reading and absorbing everything I could and for me, the people that I get not annoyed at, but I I lose a lot of empathy for are the ones that say, "Hey, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, and I'm this and that." And I say, I, "I'm here for you. Like I'll chat with you all day." But then next week they're out doing lines of coke or drinking mm-hmm. heaps of alcohol, not sleeping well, eating shit. And again, I'm I'm I was out last weekend and got pretty drunk with the boys and and. I'm not this mental health lord at all, mm. but I'm not here complaining that I'm unhappy. I am, I will feel hungover and go, I'm hungover, not I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? It's acknowledging that there's a difference. And yeah. when I was depressed, I went vegan for eight months just to hopefully that would work. And, you know, I lost weight and felt really good and it did work a little bit. Like it, for me, it's, yeah, I think it's a, an aspect of, you know, learn and grow, but also acknowledge that you aren't perfect mm. and everyone's going to help you, but you've got to help yourself. And you kind of have to have that accountability and, and go, it's okay to ask help, but I also have to do this for myself too. I've got to yeah. show that I'm up for it and having a crack because – that's yeah, and it sounds harsh from a mental health advocate, but you know I'll never put push anyone away, but I'll also will be hard on them, and and that's what I guess a coach does, right? They they keep them accountable. It's just saying, what are you doing to get better? And you know I've told this before, and you know Ben, who I live with, my best mate, there was a point about I kept just complaining about how I never lost weight, and mm. I would do like a month's worth of exercise and just be down in the dumps. Like, why am I not, you know, fit yet? It's so annoying. Or I would actually go the opposite way and pump myself up for doing two weeks of exercise. Mm. And and Ben, who I live with, is, is um, really good for me because he's quite to the point and really rational person. So yeah, he's like, dude, I'm going to I'm gonna call you out and say you're talking shit. But yeah. you're, bu- you're bullshitting yourself. Like, You've done a month's worth of exercise. Don't you know get 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 a grip and you know actually have a crack for once and see what you get out of a, a long period of time of effort and you know sort of took that on the chin and and but yeah it's something that I remember and he probably doesn't even know that he, it, it is something that I took uh, with me but yeah it's um yeah so I ranted again. <laughs> no, it's it's good for it's good for podcasting ranting and going on tangents. I love it. And that just shows as well with that answer how important it is to have the right environment around you, having the right yep. people around you. And when you said before, um, like it does, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't sound bad coming from a mental health mentor because when you think back on your story, you said the change happened because it came within you and you have to realize yourself that you have to do it for you. And everyone else yeah. needs that realization too on the mental health or mental illness recovery journey that it has to come within them. And that's yeah. where the real change will come. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, this actually, this next question relates with a part of what you were just talking about before. Because when you said like when people are hang hungover, they can say, "I feel depressed," "I feel anxious." And it's all the labels they put on themselves, right? Because the words that we use can be self hypnosis. So, what advice do you have to remove labels? Um, I probably will reference something you said actually. On a, uh, I was looking at uh, you want to see if you likes come through, but I was just looking on your page to to make sure I remembered everything that you've posted before. But um, it was a comment where you said where your um, focus goes, your energy flows. Is that 
yeah, right. where your focus goes, your energy flows. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't think it's about not labelling yourself, but it's about labelling yourself the right way, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, yeah, I can tell when I'm like, when I feel shit, I'll probably be associating it to what I'm labelling myself. So maybe it isn't so much not labelling, it's about changing how you label maybe. And, um, mm. you know, I remember ages ago when I when I was still in the learning period for myself, I would write down who I wanted to be and then, you know, it might have been a person, an actual person or like what this fake person was and pretty much wrote down what their full day would look like mm. and identified whether I could do it or not. And to me it was just about changing how I labelled myself and what that label comes with. So, yeah, it's maybe not so much about change, getting rid of them but just changing how you look at them really and pick mm. them. Definitely. Um, yeah. And going on to that, I want to ask you about that. That's a really cool concept there where you said you write out a full day of tasks to do and then you try and achieve that. Was that correct? Sort of, yeah. So essentially, like at the very start, I was like, no way, I'm getting that done because I was still, you know, pretty down. But I reckon, especially when I did 75 hard last year, I reckon I would be the person that I wrote down. But yeah, essentially, you, you might look at a celebrity or a person you admire and basically think of what they would do on a daily basis to be the person that they are. Mm. and model your model your day on that and you know you can either mark yourself pass or fail based on your your day looks like and mm. you know i i think for me putting an identity or an identifying or as someone who is something of some nature is a really good way to to convince yourself you know they talk about manifestation and all that kind of stuff but i think um when I feel really good, it's when I identify as someone that's really good. And, yeah. you know, when I was feeling really good about myself back when I was younger, it's because I purely believed in my heart that I was an AFL player or a future AFL player. And mm -hmm. now, like, I was, there was, you know, I haven't been confident in a lot of things since footy, but one thing I was confident in back then was that I was playing AFL and I was a bloody good footballer. And, I think that was why it was such a big hit when I didn't make it because it was like, oh, what I believed and what I really believed in my heart was is not true, and that was the biggest challenge. Mm. And that actually shows the power of visualization too. Like you said, you visualize yourself as that identity, as that person. Like, have you um, seen the study about the basketball uh, where the group of scientists got a group of people to do basketball shooting uh, for a visualization? Did you see that study? No. I'll explain. I'll tell you the story because I don't think the listeners have heard it either. So there's a study done by a group of scientists and they got 30 people into this study and they split them up into three groups of 10. So 10, 10, 10. And for 30 days, they got them to do separate tasks all to do with basketball shooting from the free throw line. So the first group of 10 people, they told them don't do any physical practice, don't do any visualization practice, come back in 30 days and see how much improvement you had. The second group of 10, they said, do physical practice only from the free throw line every day for 30 days. Come back in 30 days and see how much is improved. The third group did visualization practice only. So for 20 minutes for um, every day for 30 days, they have to visualize themselves shooting from the free throw line. And they said to them, come back in 30 days and see how well you did. The people who did no physical or visualization did shit <laughs> the people that did the uh, physical practice only for 30 days got 27 percent improvement the group of 10 that did visualization practice only got 26 percent improvement so only one percent behind the team who did the physical practice and that just shows the power of your mind if you repetitively do these things like how far you can actually go and how much you can achieve but also it's good to implement the practical physical things too but also just shows the power of our mind and visions that we have. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure you've read it or know of it is around Joe Spencer's You Are the Placebo. That's mm. some of the, you know, he's got tons of studies in there with the same same thing around you know, visualisation versus people not doing it and doing it physically. Like, yeah, it's a cool study. I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, with anxiety, man, like, how do you notice the early signs of anxiety? And then how do you 
become aware to implement the strategies to overcome it or cope with it? Um, the physical stuff probably around, you know, heart rate increasing and, but I think as well, um, everything feels like it's demanding my time quick, more quickly. Mm. So like people at work asking questions feel like they're asking it with hot coals under my feet. Mm. Um, you know, your, my interpretation of information is a lot, um, slower my mouth gets dry i feel like for me it was just all physical like understanding you know what triggers are and you know um but yeah i think from a mental perspective it was like everything would be you know flooding the brain and you know i couldn't you know i'd get overwhelmed and either snap at someone and go oh, shit, okay i need to like reset myself or mm. you know take a break or something um but you know, say if I'm having a bit of an anxious moment, and you know, I used to get real, really anxious on the bus, and because it was yeah. hot, a lot of people, and you know, I just eventually identified some strategies. You know, what I love is called the, the colors strategy, where essentially, oh, I pick a color in in the room or in the bus or whatever that I feel like I could find around the room, and I spend an, a minute just locating it with my eyes only, like not moving my head, mm. and. You know, uh, Andrew Andrew Hoverman, human. Yeah. Um, he he talks about rapid eye movement a lot in terms of anxiety, and that's one of the reasons why the color strategy works is because it allows you to to focus your eyes somewhere other than straight in front, and mm. I I guess some um, clone that rapid eye movement that he talks about. Mm, that's powerful. Even myself, I'll try that actually because I haven't heard of that. Even the listeners here too. Like if you feel moments of anxiousness implement what jimmy just talked about there and let us know how you go over because that's a really cool strategy i'm keen to try it out yeah uh my last one that i've got from the community is it's a bit of a long question um but i'll try and narrow it down so someone asked how to navigate one's expectations of others performance in light of your own core values that can easily be used for or against you depending how close they differ from your own yeah, uh, I did like this question, and um, and I wanted to answer it almost with the question. But mm. when I first started um, seeing a psychologist, my first ever psychologist, I remember his name is Abe. He's yeah. an American dude. Um, it was a sports psychologist because I was still playing footy then, and felt like that was going to be the most relatable. He he used the concept. He said around this whole concept of people and the expectations we have of them but also the expectations we have of ourselves based on them he said whenever you feel this feeling of comparison or feeling of uh i guess expectation of others it's remembering the concept unfair social comparisons mm. so when in a footy sense i'll give it a footy sense i'm sh quite short i'm 170 centimeters one of my strengths is my kicking and another mm. strength used to be my speed or maybe still is. And I've got a good mate of mine who's 195 centimetres and one of his strengths is marking and, and um, you know, leading, like going out in the lead for something. Him winning an award has no relation to my ability to play football or my ability to play uh, sprint well or my ability to kick the footy. Mm. His yeah, ability and his achievements have nothing to do with me and his values and uh, decision-making has nothing to do with me either. And how I conceptualise all of that is called an unfair social comparison. In Basically, it means he has had a different life with a different upbringing, with different parents, with different genetics, with different experiences, different schools, different friends, different heartbreaks different learnings different everything there's not it is not possible for me to live the same life as him and if we did then maybe i would say well that's bullshit why did he mm -hmm. win that over me but in terms of both comparison but also someone not acting the way you want them to it's an unfair social comparison on them it's mm -hmm. unfair to them to expect them to be how you want them to be because they haven't lived the way you've lived and they haven't experienced the same things as you 
And the same goes vice versa. I'm learning that even now with, you know, having a girlfriend or having mates is I can't expect them to behave exactly how I want them to behave. And I can't get upset when they don't, because realistically it's an unfair social comparison. Mm. And, and that only comes with self-awareness and I'm still learning for sure. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that the answer to the question is just recognize that it's an unfair social comparison to, expect someone to act a certain way or be less than you because of what you expect. Mm. Is there anything you do like in the moments where you have those expectations to snap you out of that mindset or is it just more of a conversation you have with yourself? Uh, conversation I have with myself, I think I'm starting more and more now. To, I use Notion a lot, which is that uh, productivity app, but when I'm really good and feeling really good about myself or feeling very um, – present with everything i'll ask myself questions it's almost like cognitive behavioral therapy where mm. you know i might say how what am i feeling right now and i'll write it or what am i experiencing right now and i'll write it um what am i thinking right now and i'll write it and then i might ask myself is it reality or is it not or one i love asking at the moment myself asking myself at the moment is is it an autobiography or is it fiction book mm. and because i think a lot of the time I fall into the trap of making up stories of what is happening and going with it and just mm. believing that's what's happening and I react to that story rather than reacting to whatever is actually happening or, you know, what hasn't happened. And um, it's been helping a lot. And that's only recently I've sort of thought about that way of rationalising it is, you know, is it autobiography or is it a fiction book? And mm. um, usually it's a fiction book until, yeah, you actually experience whatever happens. I like that a lot. Is it an autobiography or a fiction book? That's a really cool question to ask yourself in moments. Yeah. <laughs> so That's all I'm full of metaphors. <laughs> I love them. I love metaphors, analogies, all of it. It's um, it's a great way to explain things. It brings like everything into a simple summarized way and it makes it easy digestible. It's great. Yeah. Uh, these last three questions are from me. So I'd like to know if you could study with any expert in the world, who is it and what would you study? Andrew Huberman, mm. for sure. Purely from the fact that it's all science-based, it's all fact. Or evidence. Yeah, yeah evidence-based. And I feel like I'm quite literal a lot of the time when it comes to mental health. So he would be good. And I think he also gives people really uh, mostly achievable stuff too. So It'd be cool to uh, uncover mm. what what comes out of working with him. I think he's just um, really cool. Yeah, it'd be awesome sitting in like a neuroscience lab for a year and yeah. just like, observing and digesting everything. Well, I'd love him. I'd love to be a lab rat. I'd just let mm. him, I'll let him study me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. That would be yeah. epic. Yeah, Andrew Huberman. I love his podcast too. He's, his podcast is one of those podcasts that I like inspire. Not to be, but I get a lot of things from that that I can implement into my own. Like it's very cool seeing how he does the evidence-based episodes and things like that. So yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's cool. Uh dinner with four people, past or present, who are you having dinner with? Dinner with past present. Hmm. Which role would be one? Hmm. Do you know who Rich Roll is? Yeah, the uh, yeah. marathon runner. Yeah, and he's yeah. got his, his podcast, Rich Roll Podcast. I think he's just really insightful. Um, Tom Hardy. Yeah, I think I've... like not even from the acting perspective. I think just personally, he's genius. Like he's mm. just got so much in, insight. Um, I think Nathan Buckley, which you might not know of him, but he's an AFL great for Collingwood Football Club, which is my favorite football club, and. Um, I think I just want to meet him really. And um I should have thought about this before. Um so good. it's a question that stuns all my guests. <laughs> yeah. Who else? I'm trying to think of who I consume the most of. Um, probably Jordan Peterson at this stage. Mm, that would be interesting. Uh, I've picked all a live people, but I think he'd be interesting. Like it would be, mm. I'd be like, oh, I disagree with that, but I also agree. With, like I'd just be interesting to see what he comes up with. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably those four at the moment, but I could probably change it in like a day, I reckon. Yeah, it's one of those things that evolved. The first time I asked myself that question, it's completely changed since then. Yeah, so, exactly. Are you a Collingwood supporter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you might not like me. Uh, we'll just end the potty here, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to frame this, actually. You want to put it up? Yeah, well, you're on shit out now, so it's okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. We haven't been good for a few years. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. You had your run. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, my uh, final question, man, is is what's like the top three books that's had a big impact on your life? Um, I remember my f- the first book that felt really impactful was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. And I took one quote out of that, especially that I use like all the time, and it's more beans with honey than you do with vinegar. Yeah. And, you know, my one of my affirmations in the morning if I do do them is I am kind and I am thoughtful mm. because I feel like you know being in HR it's sort of one of my strengths but also just as a person and I get this from my mum is I feel like I'm a pretty thoughtful person and sometimes maybe too thoughtful and get myself into strife around thinking too much to how I can make someone happy or please them a bit um, mm. but. Yeah, that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, it gave me stuff like that, but also it's got some good advice around just how to act around people, obviously. But um, that was one. Um, I felt like um, the psychology of money, and I know it's got nothing to do with mindset, sort of, but psychology of money was cool in the sense that it's, it's not a typical money book. It's about obviously the psychology of money, but your mindset and how your mind can influence how you approach your money and mm. how it can, you know, how you approach money is how you approach, um, is based on how you approach your mind. And that was just really cool because it was more about, you know, the mind than it was just about money. Um, and the last one is probably, I'm going to say this one. You can't see it. Oh, but the big leap. The Big Leap uh, by Gay Hendricks, and I just found that really cool, and I've read that recently too, um, where it talks about the upper limit problem and, and the ceilings we put on ourselves and what we can achieve. And you know, we we're talking about it before with you on the street. Um, I think it was really relatable and and mm-hmm. can have a, a big effect on on how I act. Mm. is you know i my decisions are based on what i feel like i can achieve not what is possible mm. i have to check out the big leap i haven't read that book yeah it's cool i just want to say brother thank you for coming on you're an inspiration there's thank a lot you. of there's a lot of things from this episode that people can implement into their life as well so there's a lot of things within this that people listening to i uh, know they're going to implement it and see shifts within their own life as well so thank you for coming on thank you for bringing the value Thank you for giving your time as well to myself and the listeners here. And I just want to say at the end of this, how can people find you? And also, do you have any final words you want to say? Yeah, they can uh, find me on Think Mental with Jimmy and on Instagram and TikTok. I'm pretty much just on Instagram at this stage. Um, if you want to DM me, I'm always open to having a chat. And you know, people typically do, and I'm always happy to. Um, but I think final words would just be, Start with self-awareness. Start mm. learning about yourself. Start understanding what your thing is because at the end of the day, if you, you don't know what you like and those things will change. Like over time, what I liked five years ago is not what I like now. But just start by building self-awareness and understanding who you are and your mm. thing and what you like and what you dislike and what the type of people you like having around and what people you don't. And And if you're sitting there going, how do I do that? Sometimes it's just sitting there and writing down as much as you can on a piece of paper, mm. Googling how do I build self-awareness, Googling what are questions I can ask myself to build self-awareness. It's all there for you. It's just about time and spending the time to do it. And it sucks sometimes just like going to the gym does and just like eating healthy does, mm. just like having a difficult conversation with your girlfriend or boyfriend does. Like everything, life isn't easy, but you – once you realize that, it's when you really start humming because you 
just accept it and start building the foundation uh, that becomes a beautiful, strong house. One hundred percent, and that relates back to the start of this podcast when you used the word curiosity. When your mental health journey began, it all became from being curious about how you felt and wanting to learn more on how you can overcome it. So that's a great way to finish your brother. And thank you for coming on. No, thank you for having me. And I feel really, really grateful. I, like I said, it was my second potty ever. So I feel pretty chuffed. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm appreciative of it and you're doing great things. And you've, I mean, I saw you from the start. I think you followed me early on and, and I followed you early on. And mm. you know, I remember when you had only like 200 followers, which again, followers doesn't really mean anything, but you know, you've had some massive growth and that's because you worked hard and kept doing it. So consistency, mm. perseverance knows that failure, as I said. So. Yeah. Mate. Keep it up. Thank you, brother. That means a lot. Um, appreciate that heaps. And everyone listening to, yeah, I'll also link in everything to find Jimmy and his podcast and his Instagram and all that as well. So you can find it in the bio of this episode. But thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys.